0: I bring nearly 40 years of experience covering IndyCar and NASCAR, working for such media brands as NBCSports.com, SI.com, ESPN Sports Ticker, Sports Illustrated, AutoWeek, and SpeedSport. So let's drop the green flag on this episode of Pit Pass Indy. Al Unser was one of the greats of auto racing, especially at the Indianapolis 500. The four-time Indy 500 winning driver and three-time IndyCar Series champion died on December 9th after a 17-year battle with a rare form of cancer brought on by an inherited blood disease. He was 82. Unser is the only driver in Indy 500 history who had a brother and a son win the Indianapolis 500. His older brother, Bobby, was a three-time Indy 500 winner, and he passed away on May 2nd in Albuquerque at the age of 87. Al Unser Jr. won the Indy 500 in 1992 and 1994. Big Al led 644 laps in the Indianapolis 500, more than any driver in history. In addition to winning four Indy 500s, Unser also won three IndyCar National Championships and scored an impressive 39 victories. Unser also finished fourth in the 1968 Daytona 500 NASCAR race and had another fourth place finish in a NASCAR race at Riverside, California in 1969. It's been a difficult year for the Uncers. Six weeks after his death, Bobby's son, Bobby Jr., died unexpectedly from blood clots after undergoing surgery for a broken hip. He was 65. Back home in Albuquerque, New Mexico, an invitation-only gathering of around 200 met at the Unser Family Museum on Saturday, December 18th to celebrate the life of Al Unser. Roger Penske sent a letter to Unser's widow, Susan, describing Unser as, quote, fearless yet humble. He was strong and tough while being thoughtful and kind. He was a family man who was a fierce competitor and a true champion. To me, he will always be a great teammate and a good friend, Penske said. Penske concluded the letter by saying, we will miss you, Al. Godspeed. The service was a tasteful and distinguished way to remember a great champion and a true Indianapolis 500 legend. Our guests today were very good friends with Unser and both served as his teammate throughout their careers. The first is the legendary Mario Andretti, who was Unser's teammate on the famed Vels Parnelli Jones racing team from 1972 to 75. Andretti left the team following that season to compete full-time for the Formula One World Championship while running a limited IndyCar schedule. Unser stayed with Vels Parnelli through the 1977 season. Our second guest is Rick Mears, Who joined Foyt and Unser as four time Indy 500 winners when he scored his fourth Indianapolis 500 victory in 1991? First up is my interview with Mario Andretti as we recall Al Unser. Joining us now on Pit Pass, Indy, is Mario Andretti, a racing legend himself. Mario spent many great battles with Al Unser throughout his career. The two were rookies together about the same time in 1965 in USAC, back when USAC ran IndyCar. Mario, it's been a very sad year for the Unser family in general. I know you went through this with the Andrettis. You've had had bad years yourself uh, with the loss of some Great uh, family members, so you have an idea what the how bad the answers are hurting right now. It's just how tough is this not only for the family, but also for the greater IndyCar community?
1: Well, for sure, like you know, you can see that you know the genuine reaction from friends and and family and and fans. Uh, I mean that uh, uh, Al reached uh, you know millions and millions of people throughout his career and they do, they're not forgetting him either. You know, it's, uh, uh, you know, we all just uh, look back and never prepare for these things. Just like, uh, I was talking with Al jr. And I said, you know, I don't care, you know, just, uh, how are you predicting and because of situations, but you can never prepare for uh, when, when they're gone. And, uh, again, you know, as, as you said, we, we experienced this, but, um, you know every time it's uh it's 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 a new uh a new situation that uh, you have to deal with and and um uh, and but it never gets easier that's all i can say yeah, you never get used to it uh the only thing you have left is to look back and um and and just remember all the times the wonderful times we had together when i the first thing when I'm, you know, when I'm taking a vow is, uh, you know, us, uh, dueling, you know, with the, on a dirt car, uh, dueling with a formula 5,000, dueling with the, uh, Indy car. And, uh, actually, um, uh, trying to, to make the dihedral car work back in 72 and, uh, and all those things. So, um, uh, you know, not all of it was, uh, peaches and, and roses, you know, but, uh, uh we we all you know made it through it, and uh we had our issues and we had our laughs and we had our chagrin uh, we had to cry you know crying together um but uh the families uh spent other time off the track together and uh, I think between the Yonser family and our family and Dreddy family it was uh it was just one one big family and um and so when we lose. One on that side, and we lose one of our own, and that's that's the only way I can describe
0: it. I don't think you could pick two opposite brothers than Bobby Unser, who passed away in May, and Al Unser, both the way they drove and their personalities. How unique was that, that uh, one was so outspoken, was such an extrovert, and the other pretty much kept to himself?
1: Well, like you said, they're totally different characters for sure. Um, In driving style as well, you know, uh, uh, Al was just, uh, was a quiet, but uh, was a quiet tiger. And the the other one just growled, you know, and uh, (laughs) they were both, you know, both aggressive in their own way. Um, I think uh, Al was uh, probably uh, had a little better race craft maybe than Bobby. Bobby might have been a tad quicker like qualifier type of thing. Uh but uh Al was the smoothest driver I've ever followed, um, whether it was uh on a you know, a super super speedway, short oval or especially on the dirt. You know, I like uh I would be behind him trying to get by him and trying to stay with him and I'd be uh, you know, all over the place, arms and he just smooth as silk. You know, so it was always something to learn from him.
0: In a lot of ways, I would say that both you and Bobby Unser were chargers. You basically wanted that car to lead as many laps as you could. Al was a little bit different in the fact that he was probably a little bit more like Rick Mears, or Rick Mears was a little bit more like Al Unser since Rick came after Al. But would that be a fair description of uh, if you were going to compare drivers?
1: Yeah, probably so. I think uh, his style was uh, perfect for the time. And I think uh, mine and and Bobby's would have been perfect today. Because, you know, today it's uh, with the reliability of the cars, you just go. You know, 10-10s from lap one and on. And that's the way I went. That's the way this I was not going to change my style. You know, I was just afraid to just change my approach. Uh, but uh, again, I, I said many times, actually, thinking of myself that I was born too early. But uh, would I change anything? No, because uh, uh, when I look back at the opportunities I had, as you say, to, to race against the icons, as uh, they were talking about, like Al and Bobby and so forth, um, you know, I wouldn't change that for anything.
0: Now, would you say that, uh, his personality was a little sneaky, He had a great sense of humor, but unlike Bobby, who was always out front with his sense of humor, Al was a little more crafty, a little more sneaky with his sense of humor.
1: Well, like I said, he was more calculated. I think, uh, just lay back and <clears throat> watch everybody get all flustered, get this and that. And then he, he put his own digs in there. You know, he, uh, uh, he was not a, an attention seeker like Bobby was. You know, Bobby was always one that uh, wanted to control the conversation, and now it was just the opposite. Um, quite honestly, I think uh, that's why Al, in so many ways, uh, you know, on, on the social front, was uh, probably more likable.
0: Now, the thing is, people say if he was a driver that kind of lurked in the background and waited for other cars to drop out of the race before he capitalized, the irony in that is he's the all-time leading lap leader in the Indianapolis 500 with 644 laps led. But to point that out, he led 190 of the 200 laps in 1970 in the Johnny Lightning uh, special uh, driving for Parnelli Jones and Val Militich. And also the following year, 1971, he led 103 laps. So you could probably see easily how he got to that 644-lap-led mark. But in a lot of ways, toward the middle of his career in the end, did he just like to stay within striking distance of the leaders on the lead lap?
1: Yes. I mean, uh, I think he had that virtue of uh, patience uh, to some degree, you know, uh, patience but ready to attack. And uh, and sometimes I probably thought that uh, uh, he probably couldn't really, maybe he would be unreasonable by taking what he needed to take out of the car to really be up front and whatever. So he just uh, uh, he just waited. You know, he just waited. And uh, uh, it was sort of a natural feel that I think he had for it. I call it just a very intelligent racecraft at the time and then uh, but there's no way that he would know you know that if the, whoever is following would drop out of the race i mean he was following me in 87 you know and it uh, was uh, over a lap behind me uh, and uh, he had no idea he knew he couldn't catch me so he's just trying to finish all of a sudden you know and i was trying to be decent with the car too but uh, it worked the opposite for me this time and, uh, and he cashed in, you know, just uh, it's the way it is. He was uh, the one thing that you got to remember that uh, even if he uh, won some races because, uh, you know, somebody had some misfortune ahead of him, he was there. He was there to collect. He was the first one, you know, to, to benefit from it. So it's not that he did not exist in the race. He was still, you know, competitive. And uh, But he was just, like I said, uh, he had that. Feel of uh, of being you know just patient and and more reasonable with a car and uh, and it paid off for him over and over.
0: He won his third Indianapolis 500, 1978, driving for Jim Hall. He led 121 laps in that race, which once again, you add it all up. It's it's not hard to see why he was the all-time leading lap leader in Indy 500 history. Since you brought up 1987, then I can go ahead and ask you the follow-up. I mean, that was basically. When you look back at your career, was that one of the more crushing defeats for you because nobody could touch Mario Andretti as long as that Chevy engine ran the pace yeah. that was running in the race? There was You were two laps ahead of the field most of that race. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I quite honestly,
1: uh, that's one of the very few races in my career that, uh, you know, starting on pole, I felt uh, so confident and I think, well, today they have to beat me you know because i felt that uh, i really had it um, handled uh, again it's a rare feeling quite honestly a beautiful feeling you can have uh, in anybody's career and um, and it worked out that way while i was running you know i was uh, i was just going away and then and this uh, the, the thing that actually uh, took me out was the fact that i was being so conservative uh, running the top gear uh, so to keep the lowest revs that I could in top gear and uh, I was running without knowing I was running uh, in the bad harmonics of the engine and that's when uh a valve spring broke and uh and if I would have been pressed if I would have been there behind me, I would have been running six hundred more revs in, a, in like lower gear and uh and you know to be going quicker and uh and the engine would have been would have lived probably to go to 500 miles so there you have it uh I'll, throughout my career the mechanics always say keep the revs down keep the revs down well i kept the revs down and it took me out of the race <laughs> you know so uh, sometimes you can't win for losing you know
0: i'm sure you believe in fate and destiny but it seemed to really be uh Fate and Destiny for Al Unser in 1987, the month began at Indy, and he didn't even have a ride. Uh, it took a crash uh, with Danny Ongais in one of the Penske cars that Marshall Field had entered. Um, for for the opening for Al to join the team as a late qualifier, a late addition of the lineup, the story's famous that it was a one-year-old show car that the team had gotten from a hotel that was on display up at a hotel in Reading, Pennsylvania. They brought it in, year-old show car, year-old engine. Both Rick Mears and Danny Sullivan were running the newer engine in that race, and their engines both conked out in the race. Here's the year-old car, ends up winning the race. So is that almost a way, a perfect illustration of how fate and destiny often determines who wins the Indy, Indy 500?
1: Well, for sure, for sure. This is definitely... Uh, the Cinderella story, really, when you put it all together. But uh, make no mistake, I mean, uh, Al was out there with first-class equipment. You know, Roger Penske doesn't put anything out on the track uh, less than that. So, um, you know, whatever he had, if, if he might have had uh, uh, probably a slightly uh, older engine per se, it was a fresh engine. Everything was, you know, fresh. Maybe it not, not the latest spec, but sometimes the latest spec is what lets you down because, uh, you know, maybe a lot of the pieces are not, not always, you know, totally um, tested out. But uh, nevertheless, it's still destiny. You know, when you look at it uh, on on paper, I guarantee you they're looking at uh, the team that Roger had. Uh, Al Anser was not going to be figured out, OK, he's going to w- want to bring bring the trophy home Uh but he did. So there you go. Another Cinderella story, as I said.
0: What was your reaction when he won? I know you were still, had to be bitterly disappointed uh, by dropping out of the race so close to victory. But what was your reaction when you found out that Al had won and become a four-time Indy 500 winner, joining at that time, A.J. Foyt?
1: Well, you know, obviously, I figured if I can't win it, uh, Al winning is fine with me, you know, because I uh, always liked Al in every respect. And uh, and to uh, to create this milestone for himself, I mean, uh sweet it is, you know, because uh, he didn't have a, a steady ride at the time and, and all that. You know, his career was not, uh, you know, he was not at the pin- pinnacle of his career, if you will. And uh, to land something like this... Uh, uh, solid and, and be able to capitalize on it uh you know out of boy type of thing for sure.
0: Now earlier in the nineteen seventies you were you and Al were teammates at uh on that famed viceroy team, Parnelli Jones and Val Militich. What were those days like? What was it like having Al Unser as a teammate?
1: I got on with Al absolutely uh, brilliantly, no question. Uh you know, we were as honest as you could possibly be with each other's teammates. I think that, uh, you know, we got on well because uh, Al was not very technical. He was not like Bobby as far as setups and everything. And uh, uh, he could drive uh, anything, you know, as beautiful as anybody, Once as long as it was, uh, you know, set up properly. But uh, if it wasn't, uh, you know, he uh, he didn't know how to help himself so much. So I think he probably benefited somewhat for me because, uh, uh, I, I was a little more, uh, you know, I had a little more knowledge in that respect. And, uh, so again, we, uh, uh we, we kind of, and I'm, I'm watching what he's doing, you know, what he's doing well, what he's doing better than I am. So I learned from him. So, uh, from that aspect, you know, we kind of, uh, uh, it was a kind of win, win situation as probably as good as it could be between teammates. Uh, but uh, there isn't a negative thing I can say about the years that we've been together. As you say, driving not just the uh, Indy car, but also Formula 5000, driving the dirt cars. The two years that uh, we ran the Dirt Track Championship, National Dirt Track Championship, where he finished first, I finished second the first year, and I finished first, and he finished second the second year. We had a ball with those, with those dirt cars and that. Uh, Just uh, kind of wheel-to-wheel, banging wheels, never knock each other out, you know, but uh, just, uh, you know, not giving an inch and uh, and then laugh it out later, you know, after the race. So I I love that. I love those moments.
0: Were all the rental car stories involving the Unser family (laughs) true? Let's not talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) And also I heard they like to use cherry bombs in... Motel bathrooms.
1: Well not only that, I think uh they exploded cherry bomb in uh Dumbrans' salad. You know, we were one of these small restaurants, you know, between in one of the sprint car races and somehow they put cherry bomb in Dumbrance's salad and uh uh I didn't think it was that funny, poor old Don. <laughs> they were always up to something, you know. We had uh uh, just like when uh al actually uh we were doing a, a tire test in Indianapolis, and bill pewterball, if you remember this uh spring car driver uh he was flying one of his um, you know uh, radio control um uh p fifty one fighter you know and and he's so proud of it and and uh I egged Al. i said Dale, I said I bet you so you've got nitrous in there if you knock it out of the sky, he had a he's, he had a shutdown with him. If you knock it out of the sky, I said we'd see a big boom, you know. <laughs> and he 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 went behind a bush. That's what he did, which was awful. And poor Pewterball had a tear in his eye. And then we had a then we we had a obviously we 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 gave him we paid him back twice the money that it cost him to get this thing going. But the stupid things that we used to do, I don't know why, but uh, I guess. I guess we had to try to outdo each other on crazy stuff.
0: Now, in the 1970s, the combination of Mario Andretti Elantzer on a team owned by Parnelli Jones and Val Militich was called the Super Team. Does it surprise you that that team maybe didn't dominate the sport like a lot of people thought it would?
1: Well, it, again, on paper, it, uh, you know, with Morris Philippe and, and everything, I think... Uh, uh, it looked like uh, you know not too many other um, teams had uh, a refined designer like Morris Philippe, but basically, um, I think he uh, he was still under the tutelage of uh, Colin Chapman, and uh, when it came to Indy cars, uh, he didn't really have uh, a lot of knowledge in that respect, and uh, and we paid the price for it. I think some of the cars that he Came up with later on, you know, around, you know, the following years, 73, 74, were uh, definitely better, you know, but uh, with the first dihedros of the car, the car was just uh, undrivable. And uh, so, again, uh, I think the intention and everything in place looked like, oh, yeah, we're going to be totally unbeatable, but um, it turned out to be uh, really. A very trying situation for all of us, uh, to, to get those cars to work.
0: And Late Nell's career, it seemed like, you know, was he told me that the reason that, you know, his driving career ended is because the teams he wanted to go to didn't want him and the team owners that wanted him to drive for him, he didn't want them. So in a lot of ways, how lucky does do you feel that you were able to pick the time, place and the way you were going to end your racing career, whereas a guy like Al Unser never really had the chance to do that himself.
1: Yeah, that's really too bad for sure, and uh, that's why I, I feel I was so blessed to be able to control that aspect uh, and uh, and retire on my own terms while I was still solid, you know, with with a great team with a, you know, with Newman Haas and. A uh, team that I, you know, I had been with for, uh, 12 seasons. Um, so again, uh, yeah, uh, I, uh, definitely, uh, was much more fortunate in that respect. And, uh, and I feel bad. I think Al deserved a lot better than that because to me, there's nothing like having great memories of your last moments, you know, because those are the ones you remember more vividly. And I was afraid, I was afraid that, um, I would not be competitive and, you know, I've seen some of my peers actually overstay. And, and so it was a, a great, you know, it's it's a tough decision. On the other side, we're so fortunate that at least, uh, you know, we were there to drive. And, and you know, we were not uh, uh, chased out of the sport by, you know, uh, injuries and, and disabilities and so forth. Uh, but at the same time, like I said, uh, I wish that he would have had a more solid situation Uh, At the end, and as you say, uh, for some reason, it just was not in the cards for him.
0: So after his career ended, uh, what was your relationship like with him? I know for many years he was an Indy Racing League official, working with some of the drivers. Uh, You know, him and Johnny Rutherford were both doing that. You were more involved with the kart series as Michael, your son, was still driving in kart. What was it like uh, in the the retirement years that – your relationship with Al?
1: Well, I never retired, for one thing, but you know, I retired a year. But uh, quite honestly, I mean, it's uh, always friendly, always uh, you know, always great to greet each other. Uh, uh, you know, whenever, especially in later years when uh, we didn't see each other except for Indianapolis. Um, but uh, our relationship was always solid. Uh, No question about it. Um, With uh, a lot of respect and always with fond memories uh, when we were battling together, for
0: sure. Well, here's one little statistic that I'm not so sure a lot of people are familiar with. You drive the IndyCar two-seater. The men in charge of that car, Joe uh, Kennedy and Jeff Sinden, were Al Unser's last team that he had entered the Indianapolis 500 with. Before he announced his retirement, so in some ways, you're driving for you're still driving the two seater for the team owners that were Al Unser's last team owners.
1: Oh my goodness! You know it's it's interesting. Uh, that's I never knew that. I never do that. Oh boy! There you go.
0: <laughs> the next time you see Jeff and Joe, you can uh, ask them about that.
1: Absolutely first thing I would be asking them.
0: I remember the day that Al came into the Trackside Conference Center with Jeff and Joe and, you know, announced that he just didn't have it left in him to give him the effort that the team owners deserve, so it was time for him to walk away.
1: I'll be darned. Well, learn something every day.
0: But the one thing that always struck me about the Uncers was the pride that they have not only in themselves, but in the Unser family. A lot of that is the same with the Andretti family. You have all kinds of pride when you uh, talk about your family, but what, how admirable was that to know that, you know, Al, you know, the Unser family racing museum out in Albuquerque, he was the driving force toward that. Now his widow, Susan, is going to be in charge of that, but he really portrayed himself with a great deal of class.
1: Absolutely. I mean, uh, there's no question about it. I talk about pride. I mean, pride, uh, be, because uh, look what they've accomplished, you know, uh, collectively. Um, and it's the same thing, you know, with, with my family, uh, with my kids, or grandkids. I mean, uh, uh, when they're doing something that uh, has been our life and, and they've, uh, they've been successful. I mean, there's nothing better that you could have as a family. And there were so many events, you know, that uh, I can look back at, uh, that we enjoyed together. The times that, like Michael and I have been on podium, uh, Michael, John, and myself on podium, um, running long-distance races together. And the answers are the same thing in so many ways. So, again, you know, we, uh, we're we full racing family, flat out. And, uh, that's why we identify with each other so much. And, uh, for us, even myself to have had the opportunity to race Bobby, Al, and, uh, Al Jr. Uh, you know, I didn't (laughs) race with, uh, with Louie or Jerry, but, uh, but again, at least I got three of them. Uh, and, uh. Uh, Again, just uh, great memories. That's all I can say, and just fortunate that we've had that opportunity in our lifetime.
0: Did you get a chance to talk to Big Al when he was at the Indianapolis Five Hundred this year?
1: Yes, yes, I did. I just we chatted earlier a little bit, and uh, quite honestly, I um, uh, he, he 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 didn't look, you know, like he looked like he was. Uh, having some issues for sure physically. Um, um, uh, he, um, uh, but he was very private, you know, he would not share anything. And, uh, and at that point you just always hope for the best, but, uh, uh, yes, uh, it was already, he was already, uh, uh, in trouble physically.
0: I had a chance to sit next to him when he got the baby Borg, uh, trophy, awarded to him on uh, the night of Carb Day, which was Friday before the race. And, you know, having a chance to sit there and have dinner with him, and he still had great stories to tell. Even though his voice may not have been as strong as it once was, still had great stories, still had a great sense of humor. But you could see that time was was catching up with him. And, And I know it's sad, but I guess it also makes a lot of us feel better that...
1: We had this moment, yeah, for sure the opportunity i was so glad that he was able to 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 get the baby board because you know we uh you know those did not exist in our days and uh and i uh, just i know how i felt when i uh when i received mine you know it's uh it's almost like winning the race over again so yeah i'm happy that he uh had the opportunity to enjoy that moment
0: And finally, in 2021, we've lost Bobby Unser. We've lost Bobby Unser Jr., his son, who died unexpectedly uh, after hip replacement surgery. We lost Bob Jenkins, a longtime uh, TV voice of IndyCar and public address announcer at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We lost our buddy, Robin Miller, um, the most influential media member, in my opinion, in, in Indy 500 history, And now Al Unser. So in a lot of ways, 2021 has been a bit of a sad year.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couldn't be be said any different, you know, for sure. I mean, uh, we lost a lot of people that uh, were just very close and dear to our hearts, for sure.
0: Well, their memories live on, and I know that you have a lot of great memories of Al Unser. Racing legend Mario Andretti, the 1969 Indianapolis 500 winning driver and four-time IndyCar national champion. I know you like to have people remember the fact that you were national champion because I remember the Johnny Carson story you always told us.
1: Well, obviously, I think that's much more, to me, more. It's not probably uh, something that a lot of people value as much. I value that more than And just winning one race, you know, the winning one race, you just, obviously uh, it's 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 huge, but uh, championship is uh, the fruit of uh, the fight and work of the entire season. So my championships are the ultimate.
0: So championship driver, not only in IndyCar, but also Formula One in 1978, Mario Andretti, thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy and remembering the great life of Al Unser. My pleasure. In the world of racing, Penske means performance and winning. For good reason. Since 1966, Team Penske has won 44 national championships, 17 in IndyCar alone. And last year, Team Penske claimed its Indianapolis 500 record-extending 19th Indy 500 win with Joseph Newgarden, the latest driver, to win the famed race. Team Penske also won its second straight NASCAR Cup Series championship. In 2022, Penske was the first team in history to win both the IndyCar and the NASCAR Cup Series championships in the same season. Team Penske enters the 2024 NTT IndyCar Series season with 236 IndyCar wins, including 34 500-mile race victories. Those are results that are tough to top. But Penske's legendary reputation for quality and attention to detail makes a statement off the track, too. When you need a truck, whether for your business or for a household move, Penske Truck Rental has some of the cleanest, newest, and best-maintained vehicles on the road. And we make it easy with personalized support from our associates, flexible reservations, and access to the top technology. With quick pickup and drop-off at more than 2,500 locations across North America, our scale and know-how will keep you covered, all helping to ensure you get the right, reliable, fuel-efficient vehicle when and where you need it. On the highways, the raceways, and every pit stop in between, Penske keeps you moving forward. Gain ground with Penske. Get a quote today at PenskeTruckRental.com or, for household rentals, download the Penske Truck Rental mobile app today. Our next guest was Unser's teammate at Penske Racing from 1982 to 87. It's four-time Indy 500 winner Rick Mears, who calls Unser the greatest teammate he ever had. I had this interview with Mears this past weekend. Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy, we're proud to have four-time Indianapolis 500 winning driver Rick Mears who was a teammate with Al Unser when Al became a four-time Indy 500 winner in 1987. Rick, I know you had a lot of admiration for Al Unser as the driver and also as the man. What are your thoughts and recollections on Al Unser? Oh, I mean,
2: yeah, just just a great guy. I mean, we were we were good friends. You know, he was a great teammate as far as, you know, teammates go and and, uh, and a hell of a racer. I mean, um, he was very, very talented. And I mean, you always, you know, as a teammate, he, we worked great together. You know, we, I think we had kind of similar driving styles and, and, uh, you know, his feedback and everything, you know, we understood each other very well. And, and, you know, he could, he could make a change on a car and, and go out and make a run and come back in. And when he'd tell me what the change did to the car, I knew exactly what he was talking about. And I, I would be very comfortable in doing the, that same change on my car and going right out to run, you know, in, in the race, even or qualifying. Uh, I could always count on it, on, on his feedback. And, um, you know, and, and just, a, you know, as a racer, the guy, the guy was just a, he was a very smart racer. I mean, he, he, you know, he, he just, he would bide his time. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't focus real hard on qualifying. And, uh, if he qualified up front, more than likely he was going to walk away with the race. Uh, but it didn't matter where he qualified. If, if you're running during the race at any time, if he was still running, you knew you're going to have to deal with Al at some point. Um, because he, he always just bide his time, position himself and, and, uh, if he wasn't already leading or running up front, he'd be there by the end, you know, to give you a battle. Um, just a very smart racer, but uh, but just a great guy. Great guy all around and, and great teammates.
0: The interesting thing about Al Unser for a driver who didn't put a lot of emphasis on qualifying, he is the all-time career leader in laps led in the Indianapolis 500. A lot of that has to do with his two back-to-back victories in 70 and 71. He led 190 laps of the 200 in 1970, 103 in 1971. His third victory when he was driving the for Chaparral Racing with Jim Hall, he led 121 laps. That was your first Indianapolis 500. What do you recall about Al Unser's car that day? He started fifth. He went on and he won the race in the uh, for Chaparral Racing, the famed First National City Travelers Check Special.
2: Oh, he was. He, you know, I don't remember a lot of detail of that of the race. Um, you know, being that early in my career, also, but uh, but I, I know he was just strong. You know, and, and um, if I remember right, he, he ran up front most of the time. I don't know how many laps he led that particular event or not, but uh, uh, you know, and. and was that the same year as the winning the triple crown? Yes, it was
0: in 78. Yeah, the
2: 3500, yeah.
0: yeah. he he led 121 laps at in Indy.
2: Yeah, and uh you know, you seem and that, that's a, that's part of where him being a smart racer, you know, the way he ran, you know, to to be able to pull off the 3500s like that, the triple crown. Uh you know, they were 500 miles were kind of his specialty, you know, and uh, he could put them together and get them get the he could get everything out of the car, but save the car, you know, and get it to the end. So, you know, and, and as, again, I think that year that was, that was one of his typical, typical races the way He ran all day long and, and, you know, stayed up to the front and then, um, you know, basically won the race, but, uh, you know, that was a strong year for him in the 500 mile races.
0: The next year in 1979, you started on the pole and won your first Indianapolis 500 from looking at the box score, uh, Big L led 85 of the 200 laps, so I imagine that was a day where the two of you had a pretty good battle going on.
2: Uh, yeah, no we did. we, you know, we were back and forth and, you know around each other you know throughout the day, but you know, I, I was kind of pacing myself uh, at that one toward the end. I think you know, toward the end, Bobby was leading it, and we were running second. I don't remember where Al was at that time. And then uh, Bobby had the gearbox problem, and, and it allowed us to go on. But you know, I have trouble remembering the detail of, you know, of the races. But it was it was typical Al, I'm sure. And you know he was there he was there in the mix all day long.
0: Well, looking at the uh, lap leaders that day, uh, it was really the answers. Definitely were were part of the show. As I said, Al led 85 laps. Bobby led 89 laps. You led 25 laps, went on to score your first Indianapolis 500 victory. But, I mean, those are some of the great names of Indy 500 history that you had to battle with. You know, the two unsers. you know, was that just pretty much a classic IndyCar race of the 1970s that in order for you to win your first Indy 500, you had to beat both Al and Bobby Unser. Oh, yeah, I
2: think, I, you know, now that you talk about that, I think I sat back and watched them battle each other as much as anything else, <laughs> the, the two of them, uh, you know, because, like I said, I was still learning myself, and I was just wanting to make sure I got to the end, and, and uh, you know, it just so happened that, you know, the the car was so good that, that we could kind of pace ourselves and keep everybody in sight, And you know, until, until down at the end when... Uh, And I don't remember how I got, got by Al. Uh, But like I said, you know, it was, you know, basically running second to Bobby and, and it was getting toward the end. And it was was time to go. And I just started after a restart, just started trying to put the pressure on him when he had the gearbox problem. So, you know, from that point on, I don't, I don't remember where Al was. It was a matter of me just keeping my head down and and staying focused and going. But, but no, it was typical, you know, back then when I started, they were, you know they were always uh, somebody that if we were going to be competitive that we had to had to battle with you know all day
0: long so Bobby was a charger and Al was a guy who laid back and let the race come to him or would conserve the car does it kind of surprise you that two people from the same family raced so differently
2: no not really yeah I mean we're you know everybody's everybody's always different I know my brother and I are you know we're we're different in the cars and in the, uh, the way we approach things. And, you know you see it through through families throughout the years, but uh, but no, so it wasn't a big surprise. And and then you have you know Junior, he was kind of in the middle of both of them. You know he he was kind of he he just kind of took a little from each of them, a little from Uncle Bobby and and a little from Dad, and he was kind of in the middle of the mix.
0: Beginning in 1982, Al was your teammate at Team Penske. Uh, 82, 83, you know, he did very well. You guys battled for the championship. In 1984, after you had your injury at San Air Speedway, did he come in and and help finish out the year for you? How did all that work back then?
2: I I don't, you know, 84, I was pretty well out of the mix most of the year there. And uh, and I don't remember a lot of how it all, all went together. I know 85, in 85, you know, I would run when I started running again, I'd run the ovals and Al would run the road courses. And, and, you know, that was basically the the trade off we were doing. And, and, and he was doing such a great job that when we start getting down to the end of the season, he was, he was doing, you know, in the battle for the points championship. And, and, and I ended up, you know, you know, Roger and I talked about it and, and cause I was going to run, I'd had a test at Phoenix cause that was going to be one of my next races. And, uh, and we'd had a good test there. And and by the time we got to Phoenix for the race, he was in the hunt for the championship. So I bowed out and let him, you know, take the car and run the oval at Phoenix. I think he ended up winning the race and called went on the pole, I believe if I remember right. And which then, you know, got him right into, you know, right in the middle of the middle of the fight for the championship with junior uh, that went down to, I think the last race in Tamiami and he ended up winning the championship. So, um, you know, he just, he did a hell of a job that year. And, uh, and like I said, I, you know, I, I just, I came in and ran selected ovals and, and, and he did pretty much everything else.
0: What was it like uh, in the debriefs with him? I think you told me earlier that the two of you spoke the same language. So it was very easy for you to give feedback to each other about what you both felt in your race car setups. Yes, it was. And and it was,
2: and and like I said, we just, we just got along well as teammates, you know, and, and, and I think for, you know, a lot for that reason that we did speak the same language and, and I think we did have similar driving styles and, and so we could, and we could count on each other. He understood that the team concept worked when you work the team concept and that's the team concept is working together to try to get in, you know, to raise the bar of the team to get an advantage on everybody else. And if we ended up having to race each other, hey, that's that's great. But um, so you know, he he understood that concept very well, and whatever he could do to help, you know, and and uh, feedback was good. And he always focused on the race, you know. He always focused hard on the race and the the setup of the car for the race. And um, like I said, qualifying, you know, hey, if it, if it was if it was where it needed to be, he'd put it on the pole. You know, he'd get everything out of it. But that wasn't his goal in practice. His real goal was work on the race setup, and if the race setup becomes fast enough to qualify on the pole, we'll do it. So it just all, you know, we meshed very well in that whole, you know, the Penske team concept. So in
0: 1987, the month of May begins, and Al Unser doesn't have a ride for the Indy 500. One of your teammates that year was going to be Danny Gaius, but he crashed in practice so Roger Penske reaches out to Al Unser, gets him to drive a car. They go up to a hotel showroom and, uh, or the lobby in Reading, Pennsylvania, and you get a year-old show car. That comes back. They prepare it for Al. That's the car that goes on to win the race, and I know that you have an interesting story about that because both you and the other teammate, Danny Sullivan, were running the, the new Chevrolet engine, and here's Al running a March Cosworth, goes on to win the race. And both of you were uh, in pit lane with Roger Penske in the final laps, cheering Al on as he became the second four-time winner of the Indy 500. If if you could recall all of that. Yeah, no, I mean, I can't
2: recall all of it, but, but it's, I mean, I remember us just cheering him on there at the end. And And, and again, it was a typical Al race, you know, he just, he did. He got what he needed out of the car to be in, you know, position himself to be ready at the end, and 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 it all fell in place, you know, and he ended up winning the thing. But but now, and, and that's, you know, that's kind of like him in that car with the Cosworth. That was kind of like uh, my first win at Indy. We had the PC7, and and Bobby had, had done most of the work on it and development work, and and I was still learning. I didn't get a lot of tests time in the seven. So Roger said, you know, he kind of likes to cover the bases. He said, well, what do you think about staying with the car? You know, the PC six from last year, because that's the one I, you know, I had all my experience in and, um, and it made sense to me, you know, not knowing for sure, not knowing much about the seven. So, you know, this way, Roger was covering the bases a little bit by, you know, letting me, he, he left it up to me to make the choice. And I chose to stay with the six for the same reason. But it kind of covered the bases. You know, the new car, you never know about a new car completely. You know, there might be you know a weak a weak point that shows up, you know, in the race that you you know you hadn't come across yet, uh being a new car. So this way we had a proven car in the race and then a not quite as proven newer car. And and that's kind of the way, you know, with Al there rather than the the worth. You know the Elmore was new. Um, you know we were still, you know, getting things sorted with it. It was performing well, but um, you know, again, you, you you never know. And so him there with the Cosworth, it just worked out great. You know, when we had the trouble, Al was still running and running strong. So you know, and ended up winning the race. So it's it's kind of one of those fairy tale races for him, I'm sure.
0: It also showed that a team Penske how important the team is because the looks on your face and on Danny Sullivan's face, you, you two look just as happy as the winner.
2: Oh yeah, no, absolutely. You know, we all win when, when one on the team wins, everybody wins. And uh, plus just the whole scenario, you know, with without coming in like that late and uh, you know, that opportunity presenting itself and, and, and him making the most of it the way he did, it was just, Like I said, kind of one of those fairy tale races, and and uh, you know to watch that all come together, uh, it it was it it was exciting. It really was. What was the celebration like? Well, I can't remember that for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was it was great. It was really it was really good, and for all the reasons, you know him, you know getting that win, and and then uh, and, and the way it all came together, it was. Um, It was a phenomenal day.
0: Now, another bit of Indy 500 history came in 1988, was your third Indy 500 victory. But the front row consisted of three drivers from the same team, Team Penske, Danny Sullivan, and of course, Big Al, starting on the outside of row one in third position. How cool was that when you look back and think of that achievement because I don't think that achievement necessarily gets as much credit as it probably deserves
2: yeah that that was a great day you know for the team it, it really was and just shows the you know showed the depth of the team and the the work that the you know the designer and the engineers and and uh you know and all the testing that that we've put into it and and uh you know from all the drivers all of us and and uh to be able to. To go out there and and cover the front row like that was, it was an exceptional day, and it just showed the depth of the team and the hard work you know that that you know everybody put put in it to to make it all happen. Um, yeah, it's definitely definitely one of my favorite front rows.
0: And his final Indy 500 with Team Penske came in 1989. He started second but finished 24th with clutch failure. And then toward the end of Al Unser's career. You could tell maybe he wasn't on the top teams like he used to be. He finished third for John Bernard in 1992, the year his son, Al Anser Jr., scored the first of his two Indy 500 wins. But when little Al joined Team Penske, I'm sure there was a lot of opportunities for Big Al to be around the team to maybe offer his son some advice. What do you recall of the dynamic that Al Unser had as Al Unser Junior's career was taking flourish.
2: Well, he was, you know, he was around a, around a lot, you know, in that respect. You know, obviously his his son racing and and him, you know, him having run there also, and you know, I mean, he was part of the family still, he, whether he was driving or not, uh, so to speak. So, and like I'd said earlier, you know, Al, uh, you know, Junior, he really. You know, he was always, you know, trying to learn everything he could from Dad, you know, and from Uncle Bobby. So, like I said, he 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 always kind of tried to pick what he thought was the best things his dad did and incorporate that into his deal. And he'd also try to pick things that, you know, Bobby was really good at and, and incorporate into his, you know, his his style and and you know, whether it be emphasis on testing or the race, which, like I said, you know, Bobby was. He worked more, a little harder at the qualifying end of it, you know, set up of the car than Al did. And, and Junior kind of took a little of the both, you know, like I said. And, um, and so, so Al was, you know, he was around a lot for the, in those days and, you know, helping out whenever he could. He was a, an open door, obviously, to Junior, uh, for whatever he could help with.
0: And then as time went by, as all of us have gotten older, I know that the four, Four-time Indianapolis 500 winning drivers were able to get together and meet, probably for the first time as four-time winners, because Elio won his Elio Castroneves won his fourth Indy 500 this past May. But I know in July when AJ Foyt, Al Unser, Rick Mears, and Elio Castroneves were able to get together as the four-time winners' club at the Yard of Bricks with the Borg Warner Trophy. Was that the last time you saw and spoke with Al Unser?
2: I believe it was. I, I believe it was. But, you know, the last time we actually saw each other in person, and, and I can't remember now if I if i would maybe spoken to him over the phone or not. After that, uh, we could have. I I, I I don't remember for sure, but but that was definitely the last time I, I recall that I saw him and we got together in person. And um, it was a it was a great day. It was a great day for all of us. You know the to get together like that. I think, I think I know I did and, and I, and I'm watching everybody else. I think all, all four of us, uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, it was, it was a special day, you know, finally get a fourth time winner in there. And then all of us, you know, get together at the same time. Um, you know, everybody was enjoying it very much and the speedway did a great job putting it together, uh, organizing all of it. And, uh, you know, the function that we, the things that we did, it, it was, um, It was just, it was a lot of fun.
0: And it was also fitting. The three previous four-time winners were still able to see the fourth four-time winner get his fourth Indy 500 victory. So I know that meant a lot to Al also. Oh, absolutely.
2: Absolutely. It it did. And and like I said, it meant a lot to all of us, you know, to be able to get all four of us together like that. And um, it, it, it was just, it was a special day. It really was.
0: Well, he was a true racing legend, Al Unser, from another true racing legend, Rick Mears, thank you for your stories on Al, and thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy.
2: Uh, thank you very much, and Al's, Al's going to be, be missed for sure.
0: And that puts a checkered flag on this edition of Pit Pass Indy. We want to thank racing legends Mario Andretti and Rick Mears for joining us on today's podcast to remember the life and career of the great Al Unser. Along with loyal listeners like you, our guests help make Pit Pass Indy your path to victory lane for all things IndyCar. For more IndyCar coverage, follow me at Twitter at Bruce Martin, one word uppercase B, uppercase M, underscore 500. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thanks to our production team. Executive producers are Bridget Coyne and Gerardo Orlando. Recordings and edits were done by me, Bruce Martin. And final mixing was done by Dave Douglas. Learn more at evergreenpodcast.com. Until next time, be sure to keep it out of the wall.